Well, good morning again. Uh, good morning to those at home and also to those who are uh, listening in through the dial-in service. Um, I don't know about you, but every time it gets to sort of like mid-September, no matter what the weather is, and we've had a good weekend, it's nice and sunny outside, but when we get to about the 15th or so of September, summer starts to feel as if it was almost a lifetime ago. And this year, I think that is particularly true. And we're living in days when the new school term is uh, firmly back and uh, the traffic is back on the road and there's kind of something a bit like a rush hour happening again first thing uh, in the morning. And the evenings are starting to draw in. It's kind of dark by eight o'clock, but it's not all doom and gloom because what did I see in a supermarket shelf this week? Mince pies. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you which supermarket uh, because, you know, there's a short supply at the minute. So, um, so all, is not, uh, all is not bad. And I am in denial about autumn. I am in denial about winter. I am clinging on to the memory of summer for as long as I can. I hope you managed to get away somewhere, even if it was just the odd day trip here and there over the summer, even with the restrictions uh, that are on. Sarah and I managed to get to County Mayo. Uh, which looked rather like this. Uh, if, uh, if sheep by the road is your thing, County Mayo is a great place to go. I can highly recommend it. And when we were there in uh, County Mayo in August, uh, we had an idea, or rather Sarah had an idea, uh, that we would climb a mountain, uh, a mountain that was called, that is called, uh, Croke Patrick. And here we are, halfway up the mountain, all smiles at that point. It's about to change in a minute when you see the next picture. Um, halfway up the mountain, uh, four seasons in one day. It was kind of cold at one point, sunny at the next point, raining uh, a few moments after that. Uh, but halfway up, it was okay. And then we got to the second half of climbing this mountain. And the second half was basically a 45-degree angle over loose rock. And at that point, my mood changed, uh, I have to say. Uh, but we made it to the top, hurrah. And here is a picture uh, of us at the top. And let's play a little quiz now. Uh, there's only one question in this quiz, and there are no prizes, because it's the easiest quiz you've ever taken part in. The quality of the picture isn't maybe brilliant, but hopefully you can see it well enough. There's one person in this picture at the top of the mountain who is saying to themselves, that was fantastic, let's come back and do it again tomorrow. And there's somebody else in this picture who is saying to themselves, hurry up and take the photo because we are never coming back here again in our lives. Croke Patrick, Ireland's holy mountain, uh, they call it. Uh, I wasn't entirely sure why, I thought it was something to do with perhaps meeting my maker when I got to the top, but, uh, but it turns out that it's because Patrick apparently spent 40 days and 40 nights there uh, at one point. Now, I think that what we have gone through recently has been a little bit like climbing a mountain. And sometimes, actually, life generally can feel a little bit like climbing mountains. Maybe not physically, but emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, there are times in life when we need to summon up as much energy as we can gather together just to keep going when things start to get tough. And sometimes we know in our heads we've got to just keep going, but we don't entirely know how we're going to do that. And I think that for so many of us, probably all of us, over these last few months, at one point or another, 
there will have been times a bit like this, when it felt a little bit like climbing mountains, when life was a little bit tough going, when we just had to take things one step at a time. And even at that, there was no summit in sight. Now, the parable that we had this morning uh, of this man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho in today's reading, it of course is not a story of climbing a physical mountain, but it is the story of someone who's on a really dangerous journey. And Jesus tells us this story to teach us what we should do when we come across people who are in situations like this in life. So the story then is of this man who'd been beaten up, who'd been robbed, who'd been left for half dead at the side of the road. But it's really interesting that Jesus doesn't focus so much uh, on all of that, but he focuses a lot on what other people do and how they react when they come across this person who is clearly in distress. So first we get the figure of the priest And Jesus says the priest happened to be going down the same road, but he passed by the man on the other side. And I always think that's really fascinating when I read this story, that this priest happened uh, to be going down the same road. It's as if it was a coincidence. But I think Jesus is making a point here, because there wouldn't be a parable to tell, except that this priest happened to be going down the same road as the man in distress. And that certainly challenges me uh, when I read this story. It makes me think about those moments in life when I happen to come across someone in distress, maybe, you know, maybe in a busy shopping street, maybe somebody's physically feeling uh, not very well, or maybe you're driving along the road and you see somebody who happens to be broken down by the side of the road, or whatever it may be. When I read the story of the Good Samaritan, it always challenges me to think about what I would do if I happened to come across people in situations like that. Now, I'm not saying we rush in and we react uh, every single time. We use our judgment, we use our wisdom, we use our discernment uh, in these situations. But I think the story does challenge us to ask uh, if these are not coincidences, but are in fact God-ordained moments when we are called to help someone. And then Jesus tells us about the Levite, but the Levite, like the priest, also passes by. And finally then, we get to the Good Samaritan. Now, the Good Samaritan had every reason in the world to pass by. The Samaritans were distrusted. Uh, They were often actually despised by the Jews. But remarkably, this Samaritan man chooses to see the man's need. He could have turned a blind eye, But something in his heart stirs at that moment. And it says in verse 33, when he saw him, he took pity on him. So it's true, the Samaritan doesn't respond in a way that we might have expected. But he does something even more interesting than that. Because we read just after that, that the Samaritan took pity on this man. And I think when Jesus' story tells us that, it reminds us of something. It reminds us that the response of this good Samaritan is just like the response of Jesus to people that he came across in life who were in desperate plights. And when I was thinking about this, the story that kept coming to mind for me was the story in Luke 7, when we read about the widow 
whose only son had died. And in Luke 7, um, the Bible says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And in some translations it reads, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And I always think that's a really beautiful, uh, really powerful uh, image of uh, Jesus, the Son of God, um, divinity uh, incarnate, but also humanity uh, incarnate at that moment as his heart went out to someone. And we can see the deep love of Christ for others in moments like that in his earthly ministry. And so similarly then, when we read that this good Samaritan took pity on the man left half dead, I think what it's saying to us is that this good Samaritan acts in a profoundly Christ-like way. He could have walked on. He no doubt had places to be. He hadn't set out that morning on his journey thinking that he was going to be diverted uh, into this situation. He had a schedule to keep, but he chose to see the need, and he chose to respond to this pity that he began to feel inside his heart. And he does so by going over to the man by the side of the road and bandaging his wounds. And this is the point that I want us to kind of dwell on or think about a little bit this morning, this point about bandaging wounds. Because again, for me, as thinking about this, this was the, these were the words, this was the, the point, the image that kept coming to mind uh, when I was thinking about this story. Because if we are to have mercy on people, as Christ commands us to do in this parable, if we are to go and do likewise to what the Good Samaritan did, as Jesus tells us to, then what on earth does that even mean? And what does it look like for us in this deeply wounded world of 2020? And those are the questions I want us to think about a little bit now. And to do that, I want to turn to a very small part of today's uh, reading. But before I do that, I want us first of all to acknowledge, and I want to acknowledge, that these last few months have been so difficult for almost everyone in life. And they've left so many wounds in people. And the wounds that people are carrying at the minute, they may not be physical wounds, but the truth is, that the wounds of stress and anxiety and fear and hopelessness, these wounds can be far deeper than any physical wounds we carry in life. And they can take far longer to heal than any physical wounds. I don't know if you saw this week, there was a major study published about three days ago that you might have read about online or in the newspapers, um, I found it deeply alarming. It was one of those moments when I really, was really forced to sit back and take stock of everything that we have lived through in these recent months. And this study, it was a major study carried out by um, a university, and it indicated that not only are we going through a health emergency right now, we're also living through an emotional crisis. We're living through a psychological crisis. And we're actually living through something of an existential crisis where people begin to question all that gives them value and purpose and meaning in life. 
and of the 3,000 people that took part in this study. The possibility of catching COVID-19 was, yes, a source of anxiety and fear for many of those 3,000. But do you know what the most important causes of fear, anxiety, hopelessness were in that study? They were the following. Work insecurity when furlough ends. Domestic violence if we go back to a full lockdown. Loneliness if we have to shield or if we can't meet with friends or family. If ever the world needed an army of good Samaritans, it is surely now. But how do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us that the Samaritan bandaged the wounds of the person lying by the side of the road. And how did he bandage the wounds? He bandaged them by pouring on oil and wine. And that's important because oil is something that soothes and heals wounds, it keeps out germs, and you know, going right back to ancient times, it's been known that the chemicals in wine contain antiseptic qualities, and so this combination of oil and wine, for years, this was a combination that was used as a common medicine for treating fresh wounds. Now these days, uh, we do not tend to treat wounds with oil and wine, but there is, I think, even so, a really important lesson for us buried in this. And I think there's a deeper symbolism to the oil and the wine that is mentioned by Jesus in this parable. And it's a symbolism that points us to an even more powerful and an even more urgently needed treatment for the wounds that we may carry in life. Oil going right back to the time of Moses. God declared oil as a sign of anointing, a sign of consecration, a sign of something that was considered to be holy. And wine, also important, because at the Last Supper, we are told that Jesus took the cup and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Oil and wine. And what happened after Jesus took the cup and shared the cup with his disciples? The cup that was to be the symbol of the blood poured out on the cross. Well, later that evening, just a few hours later, he went to Gethsemane. And in that intensely private moment, he felt the full weight of his imminent death bear down on him to it almost crushed him. Gethsemane, you see, means the place where the olives used to be crushed into oil. And it's very symbolic that Jesus went there to prepare himself for death, a death, a shedding of blood that he said should be commemorated in the symbol of the crushed grapes. So crushed grapes, 
crushed olives, the wine and the oil that the good Samaritan pours onto the wounds of the broken man lying by the side of the road. These symbols point us to the agony and the death of Christ himself. And that's the point, because as it says in Isaiah, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. So by treating a wound with oil and wine, the story of the Good Samaritan, in fact, points us not to two chemicals that can be used to treat wounds in life, but points us to a healing that comes from the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Because just as his wounds and afflictions were not the end, so he promises that for all of us who put our trust in him, the wounds, the afflictions, the hard times that come our way, even death itself will not be the end of the road. Because the promise is that our journey will not end in pain and suffering lying by the side of a road. Our journey ends with the promise of a new life in heaven where there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more tears, because these former things of this life, these wounds of this life, they will all have passed away. This is the promise that we need to hold on to. It's a promise we need to hold on to when we go through difficult times and when we feel the wounds of the world. And it's a promise that we need to use to bring hope to others who are left broken and bruised by the side of life's road. I think one of the big lessons of recent months is this. When everything is taken from us, when we're forced to step off the routine paths of life, and yes, we're feeling a bit weary and confused, and we're feeling a bit wounded, what are we left with? What are we left with when all else goes? We are left with God, and we are left with each other. So today, my prayer is that we would take the words of this simple but profound hymn, which I heard only this morning uh, on the radio. I pray we would take this to our hearts and that we would make this our commission for such a time as this. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. We are pilgrims on a journey and companions on the road. We are here to help each other walk the mile and bear the load. I will hold the Christ light for you in the nighttime of your fear. I will hold my hand out to you and seek the peace you long to hear.
I will weep when you are weeping. When you laugh, I laugh with you. I will share your joy and sorrow till we've seen the journey through. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we gather here today, we acknowledge before you that for so many of us, these have been difficult times. Times when we have felt that we've been wounded in different ways from so many of the things that we've had to cope with in life. But Lord, even particularly in these times when we feel as if we're carrying wounds, we want to pray. We want to pray to you that you would heal those wounds. We want to pray, Lord, that there will be an everlasting healing of those wounds that we carry with us so that we would know that joy and that hope and that meaning that is ours in Christ Jesus. And Lord, from that eternal hope that we have, we pray that you would help us to be more Christ-like in our love for others. And even now, I pray, Lord, that you would bring to our minds maybe one or two people who need help, who need hope at this time, that in our hearts and in our consciences that we would see someone that we might reach out to in your name at this time. Lord, would you help us to love our neighbor as ourself? And Father, we pray for relationships in life. We know that over these last few months, there's been so much strain put on relationships through lockdown, through the restrictions on us, through levels of stress and anxiety that people are feeling through increased workloads. And Father, we confess that sometimes as a result of this, we haven't treated people as we should. Lord, I pray that just as that good Samaritan poured oil and wine onto the wounds of the person left by the side of the road in a modeling of a great relationship of love, so, Father, I pray that you would give us direction and strength to go and apply our own balm to those relationships in life where we need to say sorry, where we ne I need to acknowledge our wrongdoing, and where we need to pray for healing. So, Father, I pray today that we would be more Christ-like in how we love each other. And I pray that just as the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord was on Jesus, I pray that as his disciples, Lord, would you anoint us to be more like Christ? Would you anoint us to proclaim good news to the poor? Would you send us to bind up the brokenhearted in your name. 
Would you send us to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners? Would you use us to bring comfort to all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve? Would you use us as your servants to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, and in all of this, would we be mighty oaks of righteousness in a troubled world, a planting of the Lord, and all to your splendor and glory. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.